It's all good, baby. It's all good. All right, here we go. We are recording. It's for real. It's happening. We're going to have to march in arms together, baby. All right. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rock Metal Podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. Today on the, the Rock Metal Podcast, we have March in Arms, and they've got a new album called Pulse of the Daring, which is going to be released on December 4th. Right now, I'm being joined by Sheldon and Ryan to share some more information about this release, what the boys have been up to, what they've got coming up. So, boys, welcome to the show. Hey. Thank you for having us. Absolutely great to have you boys on. I dig the stuff. As I was just sharing with Ryan before we got onto the call officially, was I was uh, resampling the material ahead of the call, and it is now officially stuck in my head. <laughs> that was the goal. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned uh, that that was the goal. Um, I guess take us through that. What does it take to write a track where it's it's an earworm? Did you guys, was it a happy accident? Did it happen that way? Did you guys rework the tracks a few times till you had uh, the sing-along choruses? What went into crafting these tracks, or at the very least, the last one that I just listened to that is definitely stuck in my head is Welcome the Blitz. Just, Okay. Um, welcome to Blitz. So Sheldon kind of wrote the framework for that song. He had, he had, uh, he had the, the riff that you hear on the verses of the song, and then he had a different chorus and he called it the tentative title for the song was Hammer Reich, kind of like a combination of Hammerfall and Queens Reich. And, um, so we were, we had a, we had a show coming up and all three, we have three guitar players in the band. We got together and we're just doing a, just a practice with just guitars to a metronome. And then at the end of the practice, I remember we started jamming that song. I was, you know, kind of like, Hey, Sheldon, what, how do, how do these parts go? And so we started playing them. And then I kind of started to formulate that melody on the verses. And I bet probably two months went by. And then one day I'm out landscaping in my yard and we've rented all this equipment and I'm driving around on this big, it's, it's a, uh, like a track driven wheelbarrow that you ride on the back of. And my wife is just on me cause we're paying all this money, all this money to rent this stuff. And, and I stopped <laughs> halfway through the yard on this machine. Cause the, the, that chorus, the beneath the dark night, we bring the starlight just popped into my head and I was like, I gotta go. So I ran into the house <laughs> I was just in there for an hour and a half trying to make sure that I didn't forget this and kind of could formulate it and put it together. So that's kind of how that song was born. Okay. Fantastic. Sheldon, what's your side of the story on this? Since you got the framework of the whole thing put together. That's, that's pretty accurate. Cause yeah, I had like this kind of loose shell of a song and then John and Ryan and I got together to, to go over, I can't, I don't know, or just write some riffs or something. And I was kind of playing it for him, and we kind of just took out, um, or at least my idea for like the verses and having like the clean, really 80s, clean sounding guitar underneath it. Um, we kind of just grabbed that out. And then I think Ryan instantly was just kind of like trying to come up with something vocally to it right away. And it's probably really close to what it actually is. And he was like, what about something like this? And he was kind of just singing along to it. And I was like, yeah, totally like that. I guess it was like, super catchy like right off the bat and then it just kind of <laughs> you know continued to take shape um with ryan's chorus that he put in there and then just some solos and it's you know it's a short and sweet song and it probably could have been longer 
and we thought about should we make it longer but then we're like but it's just so short and sweet it makes you want to listen to it again was kind of our final consensus so we decided to just to just leave it how it was mm-hmm. not try not try and add things that might not need to be there yeah i guess it's a really nice sweet spot to be in where you don't have to cut any fluff out of the track or try and make decisions on well i really like this yeah i don't know bridge section or whatever but you know having to nix it on the production room floor so to speak yeah, yeah definitely very cool and you mentioned hammerfall and queen's Reich, which i can definitely hear in there it was um not necessarily maybe actively but is that are those a couple of bands that you guys said you know not necessarily sounding like them but using them as an influence on the record Uh, Sheldon, I, I think he, Sheldon was listening to, uh, I think you had the, the Queensryche Pandora station. You were, you were telling me about it. Oh, it's so good. I'm just listening to it all the time and just really got, went down like a Queensryche kick. So maybe that's kind of why, what you had in your mind when you were writing that, that, that song. And I know we've, we've listened to Hammerfall for years, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Is that kind of how it came about? Um, I think, so. I mean, I used to work at a brewery and we would play like Pandora radio and I would always play the Queensryche stuff just cause like some of the guys that would come in were in more into like eighties metal and, and so am I, and so was, you know, Ryan. And so I would listen to that a lot, but I mean, mostly it was just, I guess, um, that or like docking kind of style. Oh yeah. Um, and, yeah. With, with kind of just like these dyad kind of diminished chords, but but yeah, I wouldn't say it was like a conscious thing, like, you know, uh, that Hammerfall and Queensryche are necessarily like a humongous influence. But, you know, all all those bands kind of from that, you know, same kind of vein are, you know, at least a light influence on the back burner in our heads, I think, when we're trying to write stuff. Mm-hmm. I heard some music theory there. We have to stop right now. No more music theory allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any. So that was totally like a blackout. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was my one moment. Oh no! Yeah. Um, cool. So, Welcome to Blitz also has a music video. So, take us through the music video for this track because this is a really cool area where you guys appear to be some kind of a warehouse with some fog and uh, and some lights. So, I mean, take us through, I guess maybe lyrically what this track is about because it opens up uh, setting the stage, London, September 1940 to May 1941, and then. You guys are somewhere, I'm speculating, in London in this time frame, rocking out. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that that is what the song is about. Um, and I I maybe have a somewhat unconventional way of, of writing um, the lyrics for a song. So, like I said, that, that chorus with that melody, Beneath the Dark Night We Bring the Starlight, that just popped into my head. And then I sit there and think, okay, what would that be about? You know, what, what, and, and I'm, I'm sure you, you've gathered by now that all of our songs are about, you know, kind of like historical war events. So I, I pretty quickly that, that, that seemed to just fit that perfectly. Cause it, it, it kind of had this, um, kind of defiant sound to it too. So that, so, so even the sound of it and the lyrics just led me down the road of being about, about the Blitz of London and the the uh, citizens of London, you know, being resilient. Um, we wanted, cause we knew we weren't going to be able to get a sound stage that was going to be the streets of London. Um, we originally, the idea was to have the video just be super, super dark. 
and have um, lots of cool, colorful lighting. So it kind of mimics some of those 80s videos. Because the other thing, too, with the song is that, 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 you know, we didn't consciously do this when we wrote the song. But it almost kind of has like a Def Leppard sound, too, which is, I mean, Def Leppard is just the most British 80s metal band around. You know what I mean? So... <laughs> <laughs> um so it's actually shot in our our ex-drummer uh in his pallet shop is where we filmed that at um and so that uh, those those big tall sidewalls are just 40 feet of pallets stacked on top of each other in kind of a narrow narrow cavity and that's where we filmed all that wow Sheldon needs to tell him about the fog there's a lot of fog. Fog and <laughs> <laughs> <Fog> a. <laughs> like you couldn't stand. The floor was so slippery, with and the the regular fog machines weren't enough fog for us. So we went and got a. You're in Canada, so I know you know about mosquitoes. Um, lots, we lots. Got, yes, we went and <laughs> we have like a propane fueled bug fogger. So we put the fog juice inside <laughs> of that. And so the fog, the fog went from normal, clear, nice looking fog to looking like it was just yellow sulfuric acid. And there's no way that that was healthy to be breathing in there. It's just a regular summer day here in Canada. Yeah. Know, yeah. Trying to fog for all the mosquitoes so they don't carry off your children. Yep. <laughs> Basically, we'll have to worry about that now. That's the beauty of winter. Mm hmm. Cool. Cool. Now, uh, you mentioned and this is something you know, that goes into the album as different um, historical times in, in battle. And so that one is world war two. The other track you guys wanted to chat about is 1914, which would obviously be world war one, mm -hmm. uh, which has a, a lyric video. So maybe take us through that. What in specific are we chatting about in 1914? Um, the premise of, so if you don't know your history, 1914 is the first year of the war. Um, and what made it so dramatic is that prior to 1914, um, there was, there was a lot of rules and decorum and chivalry and warfare. And the idea that there, there's all this honor on the battlefield and you're going to, you know, charge in this big glorious charge against the enemy. And, um, that was put to the test right away with devastating consequences. Um, and so that song is just, is just kind of describing this, this egalitarian society of the 19th century meeting modern warfare and just how devastating and brutal it was. And um, the last line of the chorus, your broken bodies forever lie in these fields. I mean, that's the, the Western front is this line that barely moved for four years. And it is literally almost 10 million bodies or millions and millions of bodies that just kept falling in that same area. And they were, you know, once they fell, it's not like body bearers could go out and recover them. So it's just bodies and pieces of bodies constantly being hammered with artillery. So I, I think it just, it, uh, what I'm trying to put across in that song is, is the prior areas of the idea of this glorious, um, valiant warfare, just meeting the harsh reality of mechanized modern warfare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just finished watching on Netflix outlaw King where he's like, chivalry is done. <laughs> and you guys should maybe write about that. I don't know. Um, so <laughs> 
something else that came across my desk, which I thought was really interesting, because when I was doing some research for the call, I noted that the uh, last album to come out was three years ago. And so one of my questions was going to be, why did it take so long? And then as I was doing some more research, uh, I discovered that you guys had actually originally recorded uh, Pulse of the Daring two years ago, almost to the mm-hmm. date. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess maybe take us through that. What's gone into the production of this record? And then I guess we'll get excitedly into how the coronavirus year has impacted March in Arms. <laughs> Go ahead, Sheldon. Um, so, yeah, it was, we did start about two years ago. And we, I mean, a lot of the stuff was done for a long time. But also where we recorded it at is in Scotland, South Dakota. It's a small town about an hour away from where Ryan and I live. And the engineer and uh, studio owner, Jeremy Schaefer, he plays in a band called Earth Groans, which is, uh, they're on Solid State Records. But um, he was also in the midst of touring, too. So, like, once we had a bunch of stuff tracked, he'd have to go tour for a month. And then when he'd get back, he had already <laughs> had bands booked to do other sessions with. So, like, some of the things that we could get back in there and do were would get delayed by a month or two if we just needed to fix some some mixing things here and there and there's so much stuff going on with some of the songs that like you know it's hard to kind of do through just email and phone calls it's kind of one of those things that it works better i think being in person to, to sift through all the tracks and and really get you know the sound across how we hear it in our heads i guess but that was some of the parts of the delay was just you know we have to work around um other schedules a lot with that so that was part of the delay. And then um, having two members leave last um, December, January. But then, yeah, and then with this year, I mean, it's it's kind of like one of those things at first. It's like, do you put out a record at this time at first? And, you know, some bands were, some bands, you know, really don't want to until next year. So it's just kind of like trying to make that decision of, of when should we do this? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I guess my next question is with that much time in between and that much time to kind of think about the record, did you guys, I don't know, I guess what my question is, did you guys take some more time to work on writing certain parts or I guess, what did you guys do with the extra time? Well, we didn't, we didn't go in and change anything. Um, It was, it was all tracked in November. So, um, November, well, it probably bled into December because it was, it was after Thanksgiving last year or in, in 2018 when we did it. So it probably, it, I'm sure it went into mid December, um, the actual tracking process. So, I mean, the songs were done, done, done. And then we waited to hear our, you know, the first rough mix of it or whatever. And, um, I knew that I wanted to have strings on the album so we didn't we didn't have access to those people yet. Um, so that took some time. That wasn't until the next spring that we could track with them. And Sheldon's wife, Emily, actually tracked um, some of the choir vocals on there because we don't have access to. I mean, we can't get, you know, a, an actual choir of people into the studio. So what we did is we would track, you know, kind of your, your bass tracks with keyboards and then I would go in there and try to build, you know, as many octaves as I could do and as many harmonies as I could do. And then we'd have Emily um, track female vocals. She has just this really nice, smooth, 
great vibrato just to, to, to give realism to the, um, to the keyboard track because the keyboard choirs are obviously very fake, but if you, if you just add a little bit of, of natural human voice layering to the top of them, it, it really fills out and starts to sound like a chorus. So uh, most of the stuff going back into the studio was just kind of trying to finish off the original version of it and just, just scheduling issues with that. So. Yeah. You, you have a really good point. Cause there's so many cases now where people are trying to do a, um, a choir but they've only got one voice and if it's only one voice that can cause some of its own problems so how do yeah. you get around that and that was a very interesting um way that i haven't heard yet which is to to actually bend on technology a bit yeah yeah it was a great way to fill it in um and then on uh, several well both choruses for these two songs 1914 and, and um welcome the blitz i was in the vocal booth and i tracked as many um octaves and harmonies as i could and then i went on into the big this big live room that the drums and and other auxiliary stuff are usually recorded in and i stood in 20 different positions around the room and he just had um you know a couple big condenser mics way up in the top corners of the room just to catch the room noise and just kept singing the choruses over and over and over and over again so it was a little different way to track it usually multi-tracking would all be done inside that vocal booth but right. it was just easier for me to, to walk around the room and really fill that sound in. And that, and that also kind of gives it that, um, that Def Leppard sound. I, I, we had a different um, recording engineer one time who told us that apparently he heard on the Hysteria album, some of those vocal tracks are literally a hundred some tracks of vocals on top of each other. So that's kind of how they get that huge, enormous sound. It just, it takes quantity. There's no other way to fake it. So yeah. Imagine doing all that on tape. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I heard they quad tracked everything. So a four part harmony at minimum was 16 tracks. Right, right. And um, I believe yeah. it. <laughs> you having to use slave slaves for tape and whatnot because you only had so many tracks in real life. And right. Very cool stuff. Now, something you mentioned also as well was um, some some guest performances for violin and cello. So maybe tell us a bit more about that. Was that to try and build more of an orchestration, or was that for little parts here and there? Uh, even on the first album that we released, we actually originally released that in 2015. We re-released it in 2018. Um, I wanted strings on that, too. I've always... Um, one of the most influential albums to me is actually Rammstein Mutter, the album that came right after Sein Suk. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love that album. It's has just these amazing, epic orchestrations to it. And I've always wanted to put strings into music. Um, and we just couldn't, uh, we didn't, ha- we didn't find the talent to do it. We didn't know who could go do it. I mean, if you've ever tried to play a violin, that is an instrument that needs some serious finesse or it just sounds terrible absolutely terrible so we are very fortunate that we found um two ladies audrey graber and esther nissen esther nissen is amazing on violin and the the parts we had her track are super simple i mean it's stuff she went down there and just one take it was done and then we were just doing extra (laughs) takes just fun (laughs) so i mean i now, now that we know that, now that we know what our capabilities are, the next album might might get really nuts with some of the orchestrations. But um, yeah, I've always wanted to have strings on an album. I love I love um, heavy music with strings. So 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great album indeed. I'm going to go listen to it in the car later next time I'm in the car. Um, I, one of my other questions was with regard to this album. I know that everything is some sort of a moment in time historical uh, battle. Does this record Pulse of the Daring, is there a theme that ties the battles together? Is there something that you said it's got to be this battle because of and then insert here? Or how did it work to, to put compile these together? No, the first album is maybe more chronological. The first album all is, um, you know, World War II based. And the first album is also strictly about the American experience in World War II. Um, this album is all over the place. We have the, there's two songs about World War One. There's a song about the A-10 Thunderbolt. I mean, it's probably, if you're into fighter aircraft, it's it's got to be at the top of the list for most people. It's just cool as hell. It's got a fucking Gatling gun in the front of it. Um, there's another song about two guys uh, during the Black Hawk, Black Hawk Down incident. Um, there's a song, the very last song is is almost just kind of a tribute to um, fallen soldiers from all nations in the era of modern warfare. Um, yeah, there's not really, I think, I think on this one, I just, I kind of stopped worrying about, you know, creating some lyrical tied together masterpiece and just focused on making, making the songs, you know, just kind of like how I said on this album, I, I geared more towards, I'd come up with a catchy chorus and then I'd say, what is that about? what can I write that song about? So I just started to look to, you know, incidents that I'm familiar with that I could write it out of. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, boys, we've chatted about the album pulse of the daring tracks. Welcome the blitz in 1914, including both music video and lyric video. And for rock metal, you listening in right now. If you go and go to today's show notes, www.therockmetalpodcast.ca, you can check out uh, on the show notes, the music video as well as the lyric video. Um, chatted about how this year has gone for you guys. Is there anything that I missed? Anything you wanted to chat about that I did not bring up, boys? Sheldon has to have something. December 4th. That's when we're releasing it, finally. Oh. <laughs> Feels like forever. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, I guess maybe one of the more ominous questions, and it's hard to plan things these days, but I mean, I guess what does the next uh, little bit look like for you guys? Are you planning on joining any, I don't know, online festivals or doing any streaming shows um, for the album? Hmm. You know what? I think, I think that's a good idea. Maybe we should look into that. Into doing something like that. I've I've, I've (laughs) thought about if you know, if we ever would do something streaming, but yeah, as far as like getting on some type of online festival, um, you know, probably need to reach out and, and see what we can do and make contacts into getting into some of that. Cause I mean, it, it's just like, we don't know, you know, like so many other bands, like what to do, you know, or when, when are things going to be able to, to pan out or you can play actual live shows and, you know, people be okay with it or not, but we'll just have to see how it goes and see what comes. Yeah. Do a drive-in tour. You could go around, yep. do a, uh, do a drive-in tour. <laughs> And we're, we're the kind of people too, that, um, I don't know, maybe this is something from a bygone era. I mean, not that long ago, but we're, I'm still stuck in the mindset of, Hey, you release an album and then you have, you know, your big hometown album release show or whatever. And I know that that show, we would put so much work into it 
it's almost like you know on 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 the like one of those ninja challenge races you know they always have that ramp at the end you got to get a running start to get up to and hang on to the top that's mm-hmm. that's what we're like we don't we don't want to we don't want to do go through all the work and all the production and you know build a set and bring in all the lighting and do all the stuff we want to do for a local show and then because covid is still out there just have you know a small audience show up that would suck so it would it would but thinking speaking of things that don't suck pulse of the daring killer album um that's all my questions so boys i'll just thank you for coming on to the rock metal podcast today awesome thanks man thank you for having us thank you stay warm i i will do thank you (laughs) all right